get my dad a Darth Vader helmet. You know, because he's my father. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> This show is sponsored by The Pragmatic Studio. The Pragmatic Studio has been teaching iOS development since November of 2008. They have a four-day hands-on course where you learn all the tools, APIs, and techniques to build iOS apps with confidence and understand how all the pieces fit together. They have two courses coming up. The first one's in July from the 22nd to the 25th in Reston, Virginia, and you can get early registration up through June 21st. You can also sign up for their August course, and that's August 26th through the 29th in Denver, Colorado, and you can get early registration through July 26th. If you want a private course for teams of five developers or more, you can also sign up on their website at pragmaticstudio.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of iFreaks. That's right, we're into double digits now. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Ben Sherman. Hello from nsscreencast.com. Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake. Pete Hodgson. Hello from thepeach.net. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we are going to be talking about audio and video in your apps. So this is where you just launch a UI web view and point it to uh, a remote URL, right? And then you're done? I did that once. Oh, all the yeah. games that I play, I have to turn the sound off on them. So I actually did do that once, Ben. I made it. Yeah, it's, that it's that. a quick and easy way to do it. Yep. It was surprisingly good. The only... I discovered I we're going to j- <laughs> jump straight into a really arcane piece of knowledge, but they don't let you do autoplay on video. Apple doesn't want you to do that. Is that? And I think that you can't. Can you still not do that if you're using native, like a native video? Oh, you can do whatever you want with the okay. native stuff. Okay. So for the web one, you can't. But there's. Um, yeah, there's I think it's just kind of the it. Safari limitation. Yeah. Um, Every browser should do that. That drives me nuts too. I think they, they say it's a battery issue more than anything else. Like, they don't want you firing up the radio, like, for, to download, like, 50, maybe, you know, to start uh, offering that's a bunch true, of content. Yeah. yeah, they have gotten um, a little bit more, what's the word, strict on the rules for that. And I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but if you're going to do streaming audio or video over 3G, then you have to do it with uh, either you have to use HTTP live streaming, which is uh, their recommendation, or it has to fall under a certain like data per minute uh, right. threshold. And I think it's like five megabytes over five minutes. So for audio, you're pretty, you're okay usually. Uh, but if you're going to stream video, it's it's a lot more difficult. So a lot of apps will get rejected if you try and stream a large file over 3G or LTE. So you right. have to use a reachability check to see if you're on Wi-Fi before continuing. Uh, but if you're using HTTP live streaming, then that that's not a non-issue because you're just streaming the content that you're actually watching. You don't have to download the whole video. HTTP live streaming, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, an open standard developed by some folks at Apple. Um, and HTTP live streaming is basically an endpoint where, uh, and I'm, I've never implemented this, so I only know what it is at a high level, so I may get some of the details wrong. But basically, you hit an endpoint that gives you an HLS index. And the index tells you some metadata about the feed and the format it's in, things like that, and then uh, some chunks of video URLs that you can go fetch. And the idea is that on a live feed, that index gets updated periodically. So then all the clients that access it just say, okay, where are the video files and what time codes are they? And let me go request them. And then it will refresh that same index feed looking for the new video. So if you had uh, one of these like live streaming like hardware devices, uh, it would be putting chunks of video in a directory somewhere uh, and your indexer would pick up those new files and serve them up. So you could do, uh, it's not necessarily live, it's probably 10 second delayed or or more, but uh, it's pretty close. However, that's also useful for breaking up large static video files you also have. So you can run those through some command line tools that Apple provides on their website to uh, chop up, they call them segmenting and multiplexing the video files into HLS compatible files. And then you just point that to a URL. So if you have like a uh, an MP movie player controller or an AV audio player, uh, sorry, not AV audio player, uh, AV player or MP movie player controller, you can point it to a remote URL as if it were just a file and it will work. And what's really, really cool about this, as, as, if I understand it correctly, is you don't need any kind of special server technology. 
Like you don't need a media server or one of those like old like real right audio. RTMP or whatever. Yeah, you just you can just throw these things up on S3 or put them on a CDN and um, and point the the metadata file or whatever, and then it will just uh, it'll just all work, and you don't have to run any uh, server side infrastructure at all, which is amazingly. Really, yeah, really cool hack, actually. I think I think that's a really cool um, aspect of it as well that you just need a file server. It's just running on HTTP, which is where the name comes from. <laughs> uh, then uh, another interesting piece of it is it will do adaptive. Um, I, I don't know what the term is exactly, but adaptive bit, right? Yeah, so that you'll have multiple qualities of your the exact same video feed, and you put a low quality version, um, basically whatever order they're displayed in the in- index is what order the clients will attempt to to play them at. And so you can put a lower quality version first at a lower bit rate so that it downloads faster. You can start getting video sooner. And then once it gets through that segment, it will examine its performance, the bandwidth you received uh, playing that little segment, which might be only two or three seconds long. And then it may switch to the higher bit rate version of the video for the next segment. And Previous incarnations of this on iOS it would there would be a noticeable like maybe five millisecond like hiccup between the two, but now apparently it's completely smooth when it transitions from low quality to high quality. This was first, uh, or at least I first saw this uh, with uh, Silverlight actually, where they had adaptive streaming and they used that for the Olympics. Uh, but now this is part of HTTP live streaming. So basically, when you create your segments files, uh, you can um, just put all your qualities in there and then. Again, you just hand it to one of the player components on iOS, and it will just figure it out for you, which is pretty this nice. Is, and this is for is HTTP live streaming for audio as well, or is it just video? Yep, for audio as well. Okay. Uh, and you can hand this stream to um, any uh, player component. Again, they're all built on top of AV Foundation, uh, and AV Foundation uh, AV Player is the sort of the core element there, and that deals with any any kind of AV asset, which can be a local or remote URL, and that can contain video or audio assets. Uh, so if you have if you have a, an audio asset, it's just you know probably left and right channel audio in a specific audio codec uh, or encoding. And then for the uh, video files, you have audio, but you also have a video stream, and so then you you'll have to hand that off to an AV Player layer, <laughs> and then you take your AV player layer and you can add that to any UI uh, CA layer in your UI. So there's kind of a lot of moving pieces in there, but that would allow you to build something where you have, uh, say you wanted to build like a iMovie where you have like a scrubber and you can display the video content in a little window inside of your UI. And then you scrub, you know, back and forth through the timeline and you can, uh, you can grab a thumbnail at a specific time code uh, using AV player. But if all you wanted to do is, you know, play movie back, then you probably look at MP Movie Player controller and MP Movie Player View controller. Those are like higher level. Stuff. Yeah, you don't get any um, control over. I don't think you get much control over playback other than the rate. So you can go like two X playback if you wanted. Uh, but you don't get any control over like the scrubber style you get, the volume slider, what airplay looks like. There's also uh, this fast forward and previous buttons which don't actually do anything. Uh, it, I, I, I'm struggling to remember the exact reason for those buttons, but I think if you hand it a playlist, it will mm-hmm. skip ahead through multiple tracks. But if you just hand it one video, those things don't do anything. Uh, and you can't really customize the Chrome at all. So the, con- the player controls and stuff, you, those are out of your control if you're using MP Movie Player View Controller. Uh, so if you needed something custom, then you would drop down to AV Player and introduce a lot more concepts into your code but ultimately have more control. Is that something where if you can you can you kind of easily start off with the high level kind of stock component and then customize it down the road or is it going to be like rewriting a bunch of stuff if you want to take So there's there's so much you get for free out of the the higher level components so the MP movie player view controller is the most recent I guess it came out in 3.2 I think so it's it's not necessarily recent but it's more recent than uh, MP movie player controller which only provides the player portion of it, and you have to add that to your own uh, view controller. But if you just wanted to present like a modal view controller with a video URL, MP Movie Player View Controller is what you'd want to use. And one of the things that it does is the scrubber, when you hold on the playhead and drag your finger across it, it scrubs at like one-to-one ratio with the point of your finger on the scrubber. 
if you tap and hold and drag your finger farther away from the scrubber head, you'll see that it goes from high speed scrubbing to half speed scrubbing and then fine tune scrubbing if, if the farther you go. I remember so being if, so excited the first time I figured out you could do that. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard <laughs> to explain, but uh, on a podcast, but you know, try it out on the iTunes app or or um, you know any app that plays video. Um, and you'll see this. So if you really wanted to fine tune exactly where you're seeking to in a file, you know, this is a nice, th- nice thing you could use, but you don't get access to any of those components if you're not using MP Movie Player View Controller. So uh, dropping down to AV Player means you have to reinvent all that stuff. You have to create your own slider. And if that feature was important to you, you'd have to uh, write that yourself. That kind of suck. Well, I guess it doesn't suck, but I mean, it's kind of like, oh, if they had componentized it just a slight bit more, it would be really handy so that you could get that functionality without having to uh, to drop yeah. down and basically lose all the UI stuff you got before. Uh, AV Player is not an easy framework to uh, to understand because it's just you're working at a different layer level of abstraction. So whereas before I've talked about presenting a modal view controller and handing it a, a movie URL, usually that's the level that we want to work at, right? I don't care about the underpinnings. I just want to play some mov- a movie. Um, AV Player, however, is modeled more of, if you could imagine, like a mixing board with, you know, whatever, like in a TV studio where you'd have audio and video inputs um, and you can mix them together. So there's a lot more uh, pieces involved and you can control these things uh, independently. So at the lowest level, you've got an AV asset, which can be an AV URL asset, if it's a file URL or a local URL, or sorry, a remote URL. But if there was some other way that you could get content other than uh, pulling off disk or off the network, then uh, you know you could hand it a byte array, for instance. So this AV asset, uh, typically you use AV, AV URL asset. And you hand it an asset, but this could be like a 20 megabyte audio file or video file. So in order for you to determine how long the asset is, for instance, you have to uh, issue an asynchronous call. Uh, so basically the entire API is asynchronous. You can't really uh, instantiate one of these things and expect it to give you any useful information because otherwise it might have to download the whole file. Right. So uh, one of the things you would do is, is uh, you should probably take a look at the asynchronous key value loading protocol. And uh, this is basically the core of how you interact with AV Asset. So once you have an AV asset with a URL, you will uh, say load values asynchronously for keys and pass out an array of keys that you're interested in. And one of those is the tracks key. Uh, tracks key for an like for a video file, you have a video track and an audio track. But for an audio track, you should just have one. And then that will give you a callback for when the tracks uh, for the key status changed. So it will change from unknown to loading to loaded or failed. And you have to handle all those cases. So, like, what happens if I try to load the tracks key and it fails? What happens oh, if I try, try to load the tracks key and it's it's kind of gets to callback hell? But uh, and it's it's a tough mental model to uh, to wrap your head around uh, amidst trying to build a higher level component. But uh, once it has so basically, once it's changed, you've got to request the status of that key again. And once it has been loaded, then you can ask it, "How long is my audio file?" Wow, and you have to do all of that housekeeping yourself? Yes. Fun times. Yeah, so this is one of the reasons why I found, I mentioned in a previous episode that WWC DC was so helpful for the labs is that I got to sit down and show them the code and be like, is this how you're supposed to do it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is now, it supposed to hurt this much when I do it this way? So that's only if you want ultimate control exactly how things are loaded. If you want to, to take one step back and say, I'd rather just hand an asset directly to a player, there's like a, a different initializer you can use with an AV player, which you give it a URL and it will internally create the AV URL asset and do that, uh, that handling for you. But you might want to have a hook for when that fails. So, um, uh, you know, it's just up to you on whether or not you need that control. And then your AV player is not yet ready to play because it still has to figure out what the, the format of this audio file is or video file. Uh, you know, like what encoding is it in? What bit rate? I mean, if you look at the the structure of an audio file, it's divided into packets and those packets have frames. And a frame is basically uh, like one slice of data um, in the audio file. So 
you know, then I'm reaching the point where like my understanding of this stuff is, is thin at best, but, um, I'll try to regurgitate some of the stuff I've learned from the core audio book, uh, which is by Chris Adamson. Uh, I think it's called learning core audio. I'll post a link in the show notes. Um, anyway, so the player has to figure out, okay, how many bytes per packet, how many packets per frame, you know, things like that. What is the bit rate? Is it big Indian or little Indian? I mean, there's all this low level stuff that it's going to do for you. So, Basically, you can't do anything. You can't even play the audio until you know that, um, until it's figured all these things out. So what they talk about in the WWDC videos is, uh, basically anything that you do with this framework takes time. So everything's asynchronous. So once I hand a URL asset to a player, either by handing it directly or just giving it a URL, uh, it will then, I can tell it to prepare to play and it will go figure out what it needs to do asynchronously. And then you need to, uh, observe the player using KVO, key value observing, in order to observe the, what is it, player item status and the player status. When you hand it off to a player, does it give you all of the interface that we're talking about with the scrubbers and the volume and everything? Or when you hand it off to a player, will it just play it and not give the... Yeah, you have to invent all this stuff yourself. So you can you can tell a player to seek to a specific point. And you can tell it your tolerance for how long that's going to take. So I'll g- actually, let me circle back. I'll get to that in just one second. Okay. So um, there's this one thing you would expect is like some sort of protocol uh, that you would implement, like a delegate protocol, like a table view has. Um, like, hey, I, I'm ready to play or, hey, uh, this thing failed. Uh, but you get none of that. So all of the, the information you want to receive from an AV player is done through key value observing, uh, which is a really powerful concept in Objective-C, but unfortunately the implementation of this is like always disgusting because you get one callback for some key of some object changed and you have to disambiguate that yourself and you also can't just intercept all calls to that method because your superclass might depend on that for, for some functionality. So you basically have to intercept this method call and decide if you care about that change event and if you don't, you pass it on to superclass. So you just have like a big old switch statement? Yeah, and then I end up breaking that out into... So it's a big switch statement, and each line of that is exactly one one method call yeah. to some other method. It would be much nicer if we just had blocks for this, but... Um, anyway, so the, so you have that, and uh, you basically have one of those uh, diagrams, I forget what you call it, in a, in a diagram where you're waiting on like one of a number of conditions to be true, and only then do you continue. A gate? Yes. So I have a gate where it says, is my player item ready to play? Is my player ready to play? And if so, I'm going to actually play the audio. Um, sounds like the kind of thing where you'd want like a state machine or something to help. Yeah. I, yeah I've written this twice now. I've, <laughs> so I, uh, I wrote uh, the iPhone app for Delhi Radio. And Delhi Radio is a streaming radio player and ran into this problem. I created an initial version of this with AV Audio Player. This is kind of a... <laughs> a long side story, but uh, AV Audio Player had the interface that I thought was really handy. Like it had a volume property on it. So I could just like, oh, if I want to scale the volume myself, I can just set the volume to 0.5 or animate the volume from, you know, uh, over a period of time from zero to one. Uh, and so I handed AV Audio Player a remote URL and it would fail most of the time, but sometimes it would work. And uh, later on, I found out by reading the forums, the AV Audio Player is only used for local files. It doesn't work with remote files. Um, well, it does I think, work some of the time. Yeah, I think <laughs> the docs say this now, but at the time, there was no mention of this in the docs. So then I had to drop down to AV Player, which introduced you know a lot more complexity in my in my code. So one of the ways I was able to hack around this to get it to work is by creating a mutable NS data downloading the file myself, the mm-hmm. remote file data. And then once I had sufficiently buffered enough bytes, which was some value that I guessed and put into a constant. So once, once I had uh, buffered a certain amount, I, I decided to hand the mutable NS data over to an AV audio player and say, hey, go ahead and play this. And I hope I finished downloading it before you're done. Awesome. Um, and it, <laughs> it worked for a little while, uh, but obviously it wasn't a long-term solution. So AV Player was really the way to go that will properly stream it for you. So I have a couple of use cases that I want to throw at you and just kind of see okay. what you say. So the first one is I have this idea where, and I'm not going to explain the whole app, but basically the idea is is that when you tap a button, 
it says a particular word or something. And so I'm assuming I would just put the, the MP3 or whatever into my app mm-hmm. bundle. And then when they download the app, they get all the audio with it. So how would I hook that up to a, a button to make it play that? So you would want to use AV Audio Player in that case because you have a local file URL and it's got a much simpler interface. So you would uh, create an AV Audio URL, sorry, AV Audio Player with, pass it the URL of your MP3 file. And then um, at some point you would just call play on that instance and it would play the audio. And you can, um, I I forget if they're notifications or if it's a delegate callback, but uh, you can tell when the play started or finished. Okay, that's good to know. And the the other use case is kind of the same. It's if if I'm building this totally awesome game and I want certain elements on in the game to make a noise when they appear or when they do something, it's the same thing. I just hook into AV Audio Player and just kick it off. So there's uh, there's differences there. Um, usually with sound effects, you want like if you think of like Tapbot's apps, they all have like little click events for and the swooshes and things like when you interact with their apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are sound effects and those are done via system sounds. And I cannot remember the API off the top of my head, but it's something like create system sound with ID and you hand it a file to play. And that is much more stringent on the file types that it will accept. Yeah. Uh, so I think I had to create a CAF file. I think that uh, makes sense because you wouldn't. You'd want it to react straight away. You don't want it to be decoded, like figuring right. out what, what exactly like, like the MP3 is or whatever. And um, it also has uh, some bearing on the audio category that your app is in. So the audio category, there's a bunch of different categories. One of them is uh, annoying. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put uh, it in the annoying category for it. One of them is uh, playback. Like, so the app I work on is is a music player, so it's the category's playback. And the reason they do it that way is that if you open a music player and you hit play, it should play out of the speakers no matter what your mute switch, switch is set to. Uh, at least that's their definition of that category. And it makes sense to me. Like, if you're explicitly requesting some audio mm-hmm. to be played, then it should play. Uh, however, a game with sound effects should never play music if that audio switch is turned off. So uh, I think those are you know some of the things you just have to play nice with the audio category. You can set the audio category of your app when your app starts or when you begin first playing audio. Does that relate to? Um, I don't. I know as a user of an iPhone, there's like some of my some of the apps that I use when they're playing. They, um, I can control the playback through like the little like double or treble home button menu thing. You know when you like get mm-hmm. the little menu bar up and then you go to the left. Yep. Is that related to that or is that different? I think it is related, honestly. And some of them have, you know, how you have two different volume settings: one for playback and one for like regular system stuff. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes like you'll launch Netflix and the volume will be all the way down, and then you'll you know, wonder, or if you're playing a game and you, while the game is loading, you're turning the volume down. Yeah. Uh, but then the volume, it, yeah. uh, thing switches to another mode and then the volume's up again. I've, I've had this happen again and you can kind of tell when they're switching the audio category, which again, switches the, um, that volume setting. So, uh, it, I don't know off the top of my head, all the various modes, but there's only three or four of them and you should just go look at the table that Apple provides and, and, uh, figure out which app, which, uh, category your app should be in. Is it um is it tricky? Like, I'm assuming this is you did this for for Delhi Radio. Is it tricky to to kind of uh, plug into that um the little remote control thing that's outside of the application? I'm doing a really bad job of explaining it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, double you double tap and swipe to the left, and you get the volume controls, and it shows the app icon of the currently playing or the the yes. app that last had the playback audio category, uh, which uh, sometimes you'll see it as our app you know, Delhi radio, or sometimes you'll see it as iTunes, depending on which one the last one is I hit play on. Um, so then when you hit next track, previous track, uh, those actually get delivered to your app via the, I think it's the UI window and you'll, you'll receive remote control events as if somebody's actually using the Apple TV remote against your app. Ah. It's, exact, it's the exact same API. Okay. Cause I've noticed that some apps do a good job of interfacing with that remote control. API, I guess, and some of them do a really terrible job. Like some podcasting apps I've tried, they, it seems like that never works. Like I'll go over to that bit and I'll like try and play, and it will, it won't play, and then it will play and then die. Or I mean, play play pause should always work because it should uh, the 
the audio subsystem that you're interacting with is a system level component so they can pause your audio for you. Uh, but next track, the OS has no idea what to do with your app if you want to go to the next track. So you have to implement the next track, previous track yourself. I think at the time that I've seen it be weird is when I'm like streaming streaming video from from the interwebs and then I I like leave my house so I, it goes from Wi-Fi to 3G or something mm-hmm. and then it will sometimes some apps will I can't remember what app it was that did this but it would stop playing and then when I tried to play again it wouldn't play again but so I'm I'm guessing it was just some some bug in the yeah I mean one of the 55 when, different like <laughs> transitions that you were talking about it going through that's what I'm saying is like I feel like yeah. uh, so I mentioned that I've rewritten this thing this is where on the third incarnation the first one was the botched AV audio player hack. Uh, <laughs> the second one was a very is is a, a a hot mess of code. It was you know, seven or eight hundred lines of code for a component with no UI. Um, <laughs> it, I was not proud of it at all, and eventually rewrote it to take advantage of AVQ player, which is a thin abstraction over AV player, which you would think would manage a queue of audio like a playlist, but it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, uh, AVQ player is really its only use is to queue up a track right after, and it, it can manage when to buffer that next track. Fortunately, that is handy, but what that means is if you want to hit previous track and either have that play the same track again, starting at time code zero, or to the actual previous track, it means inserting the correct audio file maybe even the same one at n plus one position and then calling next track on key player, if that makes sense. You can so only re- go forwards in time. Exactly. And so the queue doesn't represent our playlist. It only represents the current track and the next one. And I may rewrite it if you interact with it. Like if you hit previous track and you're halfway through the song, then I take the URL you're on. And actually, I think I just seek to zero at that point. Uh, but then if you're, if I, if you're underneath five seconds, uh, then I want you to go to the actual previous track. So I will insert that track at the next position in the queue player. So now that means that we have current track, we have the previous track. So if you think of these as indexes, we've got zero as the current one, minus one, the one before it as array index one, and uh, track, and plus one is at index two of the array. Oh man, I can just see, I can see in my mind the code and like the comments in the code. Like the reason yeah. for this is because. <laughs> well, so, so we actually, uh, we only keep a queue of the current song and the next one. That's it. And we wipe out the queue at any change. Yeah. Like af- after that's done, the, the track that we did have at, at the queued up position is no longer valid because we're at the previous track. So we just insert the track of the right position, we call it next on the queue player to start playing it, and then we remove that item and queue up the actual next item. Mm. So anyway, so that that is uh, simpler now than it was before, uh, but I still am not like super happy with the way the code turned out. Uh, I feel like there should be a better way, and I think a state machine would probably make this a lot simpler. Yeah, I, sus- uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's some kind of open source something or other that's like, I don't know, it seems like, the, it seems like, like, like you said, it doesn't have a UI component so it's kind of something that could be reusable by many yeah. different different projects in theory but it also sounds like sweating your way through all of this stuff is a non-trivial thing and once you've kind of slogged your way to the end maybe the last thing you want to do is clean it up and open source it you just like want to put it in a <laughs> box and move away i mean some of that i have kind of mixed feelings on this like uh if our app is a music player so i better damn well know how that works that's kind right. of my it's kind that's of your my competency yeah and yeah. Open sourcing it, I don't know. Like right now, it's not useful to anybody but us. One, because it's not, it's, it is decoupled from our application sufficiently that uh, I can use it with a different UI if I wanted to, but it still kind of works like we work. Like for instance, we need to know when somebody skips a song or when somebody plays a song through a certain percentage so we can count it as a play or a skip. Uh, and we surface that information to the artist later on. So you can be like, oh, you know, 95% of people who listen to your song skip it right at this drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we need to have some sort of threshold of like how far along you are in the audio. And uh, those are all decoupled through notifications, but we still baked that notification into the player because, you know, it didn't really belong anywhere else. I didn't want to, to couple that to the view controller, which may not be playing because we might be in the background. Right. right, so there's lots of that type of stuff that that you have to deal with. But hmm. so also the audio system can crash, like <laughs> not your not your app crashing, but the audio system is like failed and 
uh, goes haywire. So you have a callback that you can, uh, I forget what it's called, but you, you get a, uh, you listen for a notification of the audio system is failed. Um, I'll look it up here in a second. <laughs> and audio system that, did suck. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, you can't trust any of your AV players or assets. Again, you got to recreate them. So uh, we have a reset method in our player that uh, will ditch the current set of things. Like it will save the time code, ditch the current set of things, and then uh, rebuild it and start playing from there. This episode is almost wow. more depressing than the Mac development <laughs> episode. <laughs> so, so I have to ask, with the Delhi radio you're talking about, basically you go and get a music file that you're going to play, and then you get the next music file that you're going to play when you play the next song? So you're yeah, not so actually we, streaming it then. Correct. We just hand the URLs off to the AV uh, AV queue player. And um, when it gets to a certain point of the song you're playing, it will begin buffering content for the song you're playing next. And the idea is that if, if I just listen to it continuously, I shouldn't ever hear a buffering gap. So the thing that I'm wondering about there is on the back end, I'm assuming there's some some kind of security that you don't necessarily have to confirm or deny uh, to keep people from just going and downloading the songs themselves. Right. Uh, I mean, you can just do the S3, like, signed URLs for a temporary period. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is HTTP, so if somebody gets access to the URL, they can they can grab the audio. If you the, wanted to, to, to do something like uh, Pandora, where... I don't even Pandora does this anymore, because I remember one time using an app that would uh, sneakily grab the audio that Pandora was uh, playing and save it as MP3s. But uh, you can encrypt the streams, and there's some support for encrypting uh, HTTP live streaming feeds. However, you have to embed the key somewhere, so you either need to right. hard code it in your app, in which case anybody can just go grab it, you know, a savvy individual could, or have a key exchange, like HTTP call, that, you know, you say, okay, I am authenticated here, I'm running, give me my key, please, and then when you turn off the app, it throws it away, maybe, or... So, I don't so know. it does I mean, support... If, uh, HTTP basic auth and all that other stuff? There's a specific encryption level for so the actual files themselves are encrypted. So if they, if you were to pull them out of a cache somewhere, they wouldn't be useful to you without the key. Oh, that's is a good there, idea. Is there like DRM support at all in, in any of these uh, frameworks? I think that's the extent of what they provide. Okay. Uh, so I know that Pandora has rolled their own stuff. Like they don't use AV Player at all. They use Core Audio. Um, and core audio is, you know, if, if what I mentioned with AV player, they consider that a high level framework. <laughs> a core audio is dealing with, you know, you have to figure out the exact shape of the files yourselves using C. Uh, you get a bunch of C calls to say, okay, what is the type of this file? Okay. How many bytes per packet? Okay. Let me do some math to figure out how many bytes per whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, is it big Indian or little Indian? And now let me create a buffer and let me start filling that buffer with audio from this network. And then I would drain it on this other side with, uh, with something that plays the audio. It's definitely low level. Uh, if this stuff interests you at all, I really, really recommend either going to CocoConf and seeing one of Chris Adamson's, uh, core audio workshops or, uh, just buy his book, uh, which it honestly, it's hard to get through. Yeah, when you're reading walls of C code, it's really, really tough. <laughs> you, you have to love this stuff. I remember uh, doing stuff like yeah. that with DirectX back in back in the day, trying to figure out how big your buffer had to be for the frames. And yeah, exactly. And if it, you know, if you choose too large of a buffer, it can cause problems. If you choose too small of a buffer, it can cause problems. And of course, yeah. you don't want to waste people's memory on an iOS device because you may not have a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of that type of stuff uh, in core audio that you have to deal with. But at that point, you know, you can shuffle bytes over the network however much, however fast or slow you want. You can do whatever you want with DRM. Hmm. Is there support in, in any of these frameworks for kind of filtering or like, you know, like um, adding effects to audio yes. or adding effects to video, that kind of stuff? Yes. Uh, so you can get frame-by-frame frame, uh, info on like pixel data from an AV player layer, I think. Uh, so you could easily apply a filter to that. Uh, as far as audio goes, uh, you can create an AV audio mix using the higher level AV player stuff. Um, so one of the things we've toyed around with doing is crossfading songs. And um, actually, I do do the... So if you push next track, instead of abruptly ending the track, I actually fade it out over a period of like, I think, a quarter second or half second. And the way I do that was with an AV audio mix. And so you could actually pix, pix, picture a mixing board where over time you're ramping the volume down or up from a number 
And so I go from, I have a method that ramps the volume down from one to zero uh, over a period of, say, half a second, and then uh, calls a block when it's finished. So you can do that basically by hard coding the time codes of when you want something to happen. So you can mix two audio streams together this way. If you wanted to do audio effects, uh, I'm not sure of a way to do that with AV Audio Player, but I know you can do it with Core Audio. Um, Core Audio's got a design similar to DirectX where you have components and the components have inputs and outputs. Yeah. And uh, so that you can have add like an echo component or a noise canceling component or whatever, and you basically just wire them up together and make sure you wire one to the speaker. And uh, it's, it's pretty interesting how that all works. So can you do that low level stuff with with core audio? Let's say let's say I wanted to take a, an MP3 or I don't know something that I'm streaming over live HTTP, kind of grab that, add some echo to it, and then use and then but, but then pass that kind of that stream to the higher level API to um, the AV stuff. Can I can I do that or am I yeah? Am I, stuck I think doing so. Everything? I okay. I think you can. Uh, at some point you're you're just taking bytes and shuffling them around and transforming them. Uh, so the format of the the data matters, but it, they're just bytes. So you can, instead of sending them to the speaker, you send it to an NS mutable data, like which is kind of your own buffer, and then you could pass that to an AV asset. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, but if you're already dealing with core audio, you've already done most of the heavy lifting already. You might as well just play it with core audio. Yeah, Pete wants to write an app that detects when you're in the bathroom and then adds echo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's echo cancellation. I actually had a really cool idea once. I thought that I was going to be a millionaire. Well, don't say to... it on the podcast. Man. No, I researched it, and it's not, it's not possible. I thought that I had this um, amazing idea. You know how uh, the Jawbone uh, does, like, noise cancellation? Well, Bose headphones do noise cancellation, where they listen for sound outside of the thing and, like, uh, cancel it out. Mm-hmm. I, I was uh, walking along one day, talking into the little mic next to my earphones, and I was like, hey, you could, like record the audio from the mic and that would be the background noise and then you play it back in the earphones and you've got like Bose quality noise cancellation but without any hardware and then I looked into it and because the mic is too far away from the um, the source of the, the 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 output, like the input and the output to do noise cancellation have to be millimeters away from each other or something so either that or I just gave away my multi-million dollar idea. <laughs> I, it would be possible I just think in practice it might be a little bit uh not as good as the you know two hundred dollar yeah. headphones. No, I mean apparently the 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 kind of the physics of it, uh, it's not it like the 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 sound like the like the the, the there's a relationship between the microphone and the speaker and like the length of the the wavelength of the thing you're trying to cancel out and if they're not yeah. if one's not inside the other kind of thing then it will um, then you just can't you can't kind of do it in any reasonable way apparently. Oh, don't let science stop you! Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Skype is doing that right now. Um, if I didn't have headphones on, then the audio coming out of my speaker would also hit my microphone, and Skype is is filtering that out with software, saying, oh, okay. uh, oh. I know what you know. Pete said just now, and if I see that waveform again, I'm going to cancel it out. It's uh, probably more sophisticated than the way I described it, but uh, otherwise, if you've tried to have an audio, like a phone call, just with your Mac laptop uh, speakers and and Mike, uh, with something other than Skype, he, like I find that Skype gets the echo cancellation better than any other app so far. Google Hangouts is pretty good, but uh, when I've tried to do this with like the old iChat video interface, it just never was great for me. And huh. I also use um, HipChat, which has its own video integration, and they don't do a well a good job of that either. So I just don't use it anymore. Interesting. There's one other uh, curveball that the audio system will throw you, and that's if a phone call comes in, you'll get an interruption, uh, which is, again, a notification that you receive when the interruption starts and when it finishes. And so uh, what would happen is we'd get a phone call. My app would get a notification that, hey, uh, you're about to be interrupted by some other audio. So I will pause the audio and make sure I save the position that the user's at. And then when that interruption finishes, you know, I will say, oh, was I paused before? then I'll go ahead and start playing. Without knowing the uh, the begin state of that interruption, then you just receive the end notification and you don't know whether you should start playing or not. So the reason why I know this is because in iOS 6, I think it was 6, 6.0, they introduced a bug where that begin notification would never fire. 
And so my app wouldn't know whether or not I was playing before the interruption or not. So what would happen is anytime any audio played whatsoever while my app was active, as soon as I stopped that audio or hung up the phone call, my app would start playing music, which is really annoying. Like if you get a, <laughs> an, a, a your alarm clock at like five in the morning and you turn it off and then all of a sudden it starts playing music and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> And so we turned that feature off where if an interruption ends up canceling the audio, unless we got that notification ahead of time, I'm not going to start playing uh, playing audio automatically. And I use Instacast for uh, for podcast listening, and they got that wrong for a really long time where it would start playing the podcast that I was last listening to at any point in time when I got an interruption, even if I wasn't listening to the music at that time. Uh, so it's... It was a little frustrating, and uh, you know, I think they've since fixed that bug. But yes, it's, it's it's definitely a complex world. Lots of little gotchas. It sounds mm-hmm. like. So, have you guys done anything, Rod? Have you done anything with uh, audio or video before? No, just very very basic stuff. You know, just playing little system sound effects that you talked about. Yeah, I built a. Actually, probably one of the biggest iOS apps I built was um, was like a. Um, a media browser type thing that did like slideshows of images, but it also had slideshows of uh, uh, of video. And that we did. It was a, that was a weird one because we ended up using. I, I guess I mentioned this earlier, but we ended up using HTML for for the the layout of these slideshows. So all of the video playback we did was using um, was using like the video tag or whatever it is in HTML five. Um, with with live streaming, and um, yeah, we ran into a, a, all of our own uh, kind of collection of edge cases, pretty similar to the ones that um, that Ben was going over. Except uh, I can't remember what any of them were. I remember loads of stuff around states, like unexpected states, where we think we'd covered all of the cases, and then there's this kind of case where you're in this state, and then this thing happens just before this other thing happens, and it's like, oh, we didn't need to... And debugging that kind of stuff is oh so hard. Yeah, it's hard. I think one of those is uh, low low latency, or high latency, low bandwidth network connections. Yep. Um, and, you know, if I'm sitting in my office in Houston, I get great LTE reception, I get great, you know, Wi-Fi, uh, so things are pretty nice, and in basically the best conditions they could be in. But the reality is these devices, they go into elevators and into parking garages and tunnels and subways and whatever else. And, uh, you know, so there's and some people just have really terrible connections. And one of the things that really helps out is the network link conditioner that's now present on iOS. So if you have... There goes one of my picks. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, so if you, I think you have to enable developer, like use your phone for development inside of Xcode before this shows up. But you've got uh, this network link conditioner, which will, you can say, simulate a really terrible 3G or edge connection. And you can even customize them to say, I want this percent packet loss and this total speed that I want. And so you can just see how your app behaves in those conditions. But remember to turn it off. <laughs> because otherwise you're going to hate your phone. <laughs> yeah. And you can, um, if you're, <clears throat> we've, we've had teams that do, uh, that are using that in CI. So yeah, that's actually just a UI over, um, like the, the firewall tools that are built into OSX. So it's like IP, IPFW, I think is the, like the underlying thing that does a bunch of stuff around firewalling, but it also allows you to simulate these kind of lossy conditions. And you can, you can drop down to the command line kind of interface and actually um, set that up during CI. So we, we used to kind of launch our application and then programmatically in, in the simulator and then kind of programmatically simulate the network going down and checking to see that it handled those kind of conditions. It's kind of a little bit of a hassle to get set up, but once you've got it set up, it's actually pretty easy to, to do that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very powerful tool. One thing that you guys talked about a minute ago was uh, MP3s versus some other format. Was the the eighth format AIFF format? CAF. CAF. Yeah, CAF is actually a container format, so you can actually put whatever kind of encoded file you want inside of a CAF container. I think it stands for core audio file, but I'm not positive I on think that. So too. Uh, but so, uh, on iOS, you definitely have uh, like the hardware and software is is geared towards working best with Apple's formats. Uh, so uh, AFE is one of those. I think that's uh, Apple Interchange file format, I think. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's um, AAC, which is Advanced Audio Codec. A lot of people think that AAC is an Apple standard, but it's not. I think that's Advanced Audio Codec. AAC is probably the preferred one for uh, music. And you use AAC, like you can use uh, 64 kilobit high efficiency AACs for uh you know, for music, uh, if you're streaming, that's going to be, you know, low bit rate, but pretty high quality, uh, in comparison. If you're using MP3, uh, you're going to hinder your buffering capability or streaming capability on iOS. However, we have an Android app as well for this, uh, for this, for Delhi Radio. And, uh, it doesn't stream the AACs very well at all. It streams MP3s much better. So, uh, we just have to provide both to our clients. Do you guys do that transcoding? Well, I guess, you know, that's, maybe that's a, a business question that you don't have to answer, but do you do that yourselves or do you use one of those kind of cloud services to do the uh, transcoding? You know, I wish we used a cloud service. Uh-huh. We do that ourselves. So we have an encoder that's a separate service that does all this and we have a bunch of output formats. So if you're going to purchase the music, then you get the highest quality. If you're going to, there's low and high quality versions of AAC and MP3. Yeah. So if you're on Wi-Fi, then we give you the lower quality one, and then we switch to the higher quality one when you uh, get on a, or sorry, when you're streaming on like 3G or LTE, then you get the lower quality version, and if you're on Wi-Fi, then you get the higher quality one. Yeah, it's a lot of. I mean, it's it's surprisingly, well, it's not that surprising, I guess, but it's, it can be a lot of work if you've got like some some raw video, and then you want to. Um, convert it to formats that are compatible for web, Android, and iOS in like four different bit rates. That's yeah. a lot of. So I do this for NS Greencast. Oh yeah. And uh, for a long time, I just figured out the FFmpeg settings for encoding <laughs> my videos into the right formats. And you know, it, it's funny is like I thought that they worked, but just working is not merely enough. Like some of the the settings can produce either uh, quality loss problems or uh, or the file sizes are just too big. Uh, and so I just had a, a hard time making sure that the settings were exactly perfect and eventually just decided to let Zencoder handle it. And yeah. what I like about that is they do it in probably four times as fast because they do it in parallel. You know, I have a Core i7 machine, but it, I still am encoding one file at a time and it saturates the CPU for that time period. And so it would take, you know, 20 minutes or so, maybe maybe even longer to encode the, all the formats that I need. And when and I can use Zencoder, of, yeah, I upload one source format for them. Yeah. That takes a long time, but then I can just pack up and go to work or do whatever else I need to do. I'm not tied to my computer and my internet connection for that entire time. Uh, and then they do it, and they just send me an email when they're done, and they put them exactly in the bucket on S3 that I need them to be in. Yeah, that's so what's cool that's about handy. Zencoder, I think, is that you just kind of throw it up to, you can just throw it up to a, a bucket on S3, and then they'll pick it up automatically, transcode it into the formats you want, dump it in another bucket, and then it's immediately, if you're using CloudFront or something for CDN, yep. then it's immediately available for uh, for you to kind of offer up or stream or whatever. And they do, they, they support live HTTP streaming as one of the output formats, I believe. Oh, that's it. I forgot about that. I need to look into that as well because uh, yeah. for the clients that support HTTP live streaming, that's so much better than, than uh, progressive download of files, you know, yeah. Are, for static videos like this, it's like there's no reason not to use it, especially if it's just a checkbox setting in in uh, Zencoder. I think, I you think pay that's like, true, but I never actually, I never, we never actually used Zencoder. We looked into using it, but we didn't uh, get that fast. But I'm pretty sure yeah. that's it's one of harder. The it's harder if you need to do um, like we have dynamic playlists. Basically, Delhi Radio is all about playing music near you that's playing live. So, uh, Pete, if you were to run it, you'd get you know a bunch of music playing in Berkeley, and there's a whole bunch of music in Berkeley. That's where our client is actually. So. So there's just tons of live music happening in San Francisco and in the East Bay. And so you'll say, okay, what can I listen to this weekend? And then you get a radio station that's just that. And so everybody's station is different. And so you can't create a big giant playlist in HTTP live streaming for that. So we would have to have one playlist, quote unquote, playlist for each song. But you could still, you could do some kind of crazy stuff and, and have all of the actual audio one copy of all the audio and then write all of the the metadata files kind of customly. Yeah, yeah, so I was thinking like a Rails endpoint would, would dynamically give you the HTTP live streaming index. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of those things have been bounced around, but you know, it's hard to beat the simplicity of pointing it to a file. Sure. And having an array of URLs which represents a playlist. It just makes a lot of sense and yeah. uh, it's easy. Fun fact for those of you who like arcane formats or trips down memory lane, the live HTTP streaming 
like implementation is actually this huge hack on top of M3U, the M3U format. Do you, I, I don't know if you guys remember listening to like uh, shoutcast. I, yeah, shoutcasts back in back in the day, but that and you kind of get like this list of MP3 files in this M3U. Uh, playlist. So if you read the spec for live HTTP streaming, it's it's actually like this horrific or or, or awesome, depending on, <laughs> or awesome. on yeah, <laughs> uh, like hack on top of of uh, those those um, that M3U standard. So it's it's this, it's actually incredibly simple. The the entire like the 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 format of of the metadata is literally like plain text, uh, space separated, or something ridiculous. It's actually pretty reasonable to to write those things yourselves. To it's a pretty straightforward. Once you understand the the hackery involved, it's actually pretty elegant. I like it. Cool. I like hacks. Well, I think we're uh, about out of time. Are are there any things that we have to cover that we didn't? Help I think out? we I think we got it, and we may have scared everybody away from writing a music player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just anyway. just so people are aware of other features in in the audio that iOS provides. There's core MIDI and there's also an open AL, which is for game audio. And we didn't, we didn't talk about, uh, recording. So maybe that's another episode. Yeah. I mean, just take a stroll down the AV foundation programming guide and take a look at that. There's definitely recording audio and video using AV asset recorder. And, um, I've done a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I'm really is- interested in that. Like the, the, all of the kind of the augmented reality, kind of stuff where you you know stick a mustache on someone in real time or whatever i've always mm-hmm. wanted to play around with that stuff it looks looks really interesting we should awesome. maybe we should do another episode on on, on recording that. audio and video i think yeah. it, i think it'd be worth doing yeah well you could probably just uh smash together if you get uh, a image out of the live video feed and you take that image and you hand it to core image to do face detection yeah and then you use face detection to position the mace the mustache and then lay that on top of your your video it's going to be a little laggy but uh it would work i'm assuming i mean so there's a there's a the when ruby motion first came out that you know the ruby ios framework one of the the first apps that they had in the app store was was a mustache mustachification technology mm-hmm. I, I i but that was I just a picture could... oh it was i assumed it yeah, was yeah i don't think it was live video Oh, lame. Ruby Motion so. sucks, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know why? Because Ruby is not uh, performant enough. That's, I'm oh, sure yeah. that's the reason. <laughs> that was me trolling. Don't hate me, Ruby. <laughs> I love you, Ruby. If you're wondering, the uh, the app is Mustachio. Yeah, that's actually by Laurent Sansonetti, the creator yeah. of Ruby Motion. So he, I guess that was his his attempt to say, can an app get approved with this tool set? And right. it did. So. Sure. That was his smoke test. Yep. Yep, worked pretty good. All right, well, let's get to the picks then. Rod, what are your picks? Uh, all right. Uh, first, I'm going to pick uh, an app that uh, whenever I want to record my own sounds and edit them or whatever, I use an open source app called Audacity, um, which works pretty well. And my second pick is just going to be customers. I love them, and I wish I had more. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yep. All right, uh, Ben, what are your picks? Okay, I have four that are completely unrelated to audio. So I've been really interested in Redis lately. Uh, and there is an older book uh, by Carl Seguin called, uh, or Seguin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's called The Little Redis Book. And it's about, I think it's only 30 or 35 pages long. It's free. So I, you can download the EPUB, plop it on iBooks, and I read it in you know a couple hours. I read really slow. But anyway... Uh, also, Redis is a complicated topic, but that is pretty interesting. Also, uh, looked at MM Drawer View Controller, which is a uh, like one of one of the many open source like side swiping drawer navigation controller things. Um, and I've reviewed a bunch of these on NS Screencast a while back, and just there's a lot of horrible ones, and there's only a few that are really well done. And this is one of the ones that is really well done. And on the GitHub page for that. MM Drawer View Controller, there is a link to install it on your phone. So if you go straight to that page on your iPhone, you click the button and it will create an enterprise build for your device and send it to you, which seems like a like they're bending some rules somewhere. Uh, they are going to get shut down. I'm yeah. sure of it. Uh, so that thing that they link to is called MacBuildServer.com. And it's pretty awesome. You just hand it a GitHub repository and it will build, build an app for you and Link it so you can install it on your phone. So yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. 
yeah. I'm certain that'll get shut down eventually, but I think it's a an interesting way to try out. So like the MM Drawer controller has a demo app you can install on your phone right now and see what it looks like or how it feels. And then lastly, I mentioned on the you know on the pre-call that I've been playing a lot of emulator games recently, and uh, so I'll pick uh, OpenMU, which is an open source emulator sort of browser, and it uh, it lets you have a browser like a library of games, and you can get Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Game Boy, you know, tons of different formats, and so you can enjoy all the old games of your childhood. Awesome. And those are my picks. All right, Pete, what are your picks? Every time we do the picks, as people are doing their picks, I change my mind on my picks, and then I have too many. <laughs> it's quite frustrating. First pick is a, a recently released application called Reveal. So I think last or a couple of episodes ago, Ben picked um, an app called Spark Inspector. Uh, Reveal is very similar, and I, I encourage folks listening to uh, to go to revealapp.com and check out the video. It's re- it's really really cool. So it basically, it's a kind of a visual inspector and debugger um, and editor for your for your like live running application. So it kind of shows all of you. You kind of link it up with your application, and it's a you you kind of fire up this Reveal app on your desktop and. You can see your like all of the layers and views in your application, and you can um, not just see them, but you can edit them and um, and kind of inspect the state of all of the properties of the views. So it's really cool technology. Um, and I, I'm uh, full disclaimer: I, I know the the, uh, the guy that or the guys that wrote it in in Australia. I met them um, at WWDC, I think, a couple of years ago or a year ago, and they're good guys, and, and it's a really, really awesome app. I know they've been working on it for a while, so I'm really cool. That, I'm really pleased that it's uh, it's available for people to check out. In the spirit of self-promotion, uh, I'm going to pick... Uh, my next pick is uh, a tool called SnapCI. So this is actually something that was uh, recently um, announced by Fortworks Studios. So Fortworks has... Mainly we do uh, uh, consulting, but we also have a a product division and SnapCI is basically stupidly easy way for you to get your Rails app um, deployed to Heroku. So it's you point it at your GitHub repo and it does all of the boring continuous integration stuff and puts it on uh, and just deploys the the thing to to Heroku. So if you're doing your backend in Rails for your iOS app, then you might want to check it out. And then inspired by Ben's Mac build server pick, I'm going to pick a, a tool called Build Dozer. So I haven't actually used this, but again, I met the guys that, that built it at a conference, and it's kind of cool. So it's basically a build your app in the cloud. So it'll just you you give it your application source code, and it will compile it and uh, distribute it to um, to your your users. So it's it's like similar kind of idea to Mac Build Server, but it's not open to everyone, so it's not going to get shut down. Hopefully, not going to get shut down by Apple, and I'm I'm pretty confident that Mac Build Server will. And then my last pick is thinkgeek.com because it's Father's Day. In fact, maybe this will come out after Father's Day, but Father's Day is coming up and Think Geek is a great source for geeky things to buy the father in your life. <laughs> Father's Day is the third Sunday? It's the 16th. Okay, so this will come out before Father's Day, just before Father's Day. So if you're panicking, go to thinkgeek.com. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, so uh, my picks are, first off, um, I've been trying to build some habits, some good habits, and kick some bad habits. So, for example, I quit caffeine a couple of weeks ago. I was a Dr. Pepper addict. I still am a Dr. Pepper addict. I'm just recovering. I've also um, been trying to do some other things, you know, to get in the habit of doing them. And so I found this app. It's called Commit. And you put it on your iPhone, and then you just mark off every day that you've done it, and you kind of build a streak of how long you've done it. So uh, some of the stuff on there I've done, um, I have three or four days in a row that I've done. And then some of the other ones, I'm just adding new things to it all the time. Um, I try not to add too many things at once, so I, I add one habit at a time um, every week or so. And uh, anyway, it, it's really helped me be better about certain things like taking my medication or uh, stuff like that. So anyway, it's pretty good. And then the other two picks I have are for games um, that I've been playing on the iPhone, on my iPhone lately. One of them is Candy Crush Saga. And uh, it's a fun game. It's kind of like Bejeweled, except you there's kind of a 
move along to the next level sort of thing and it, it's kind of a mind mind bend mind game kind of thing mini golf matchup is another one that i've been playing with my brother primarily but uh, it's a lot of fun too and so i take my turn and play through a hole and then he'll play the same hole and whoever gets the most points wins um and finally i'm gonna pick one we were talking about before the show and i'll add it to my list here and that is portal way fun game if you haven't played it go check it out um it's available on steam uh which is a game distribution uh network and uh, you can get the steam app for free and then from there you you know you can either buy games or portal is free so anyway um really enjoy that and ben convinced me that i need to go and play portal too so yes go play it (laughs) anyway those are my picks and we'll wrap this up and we'll catch y'all next week (laughs) 